koutou e te whānau, tēnā koe Elena. Um, ai, no mai, hui hui mai te pōnei, uh, i te tuatahi mihi aroha ki te atua e pā tēnā koe. Uh, kia koutou ko te whānau te atua. Um, ai, no mai, haere mai, uh, no mai, whakatau mai. Ko Tessa Cameron tuku ingoa. Um, ai, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā rā tātou katoa. Um, you can take a seat. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for having me. It is so wonderful to be here tonight. You know, it's just one of my favourite places in the whole wide world. Ellen and Eleanor are two of my favourite people in the whole wide world. So thank you for having me. Um, first and foremost, um, yeah, glory and honour and an acknowledgement to our Father in heaven and um, an acknowledgement to you all for gathering here tonight, for being the family of God, for being brothers and sisters and gathering in his house. And I really do want to acknowledge, um, yeah, I mean, seriously, some of my favourite people in the world are in this room tonight. And when Eleanor asked if I would speak, I said, yes, I would love to. I feel like I've kind of grown up in this church, even from a distance. Like, so many memories of increased conferences and various Sunday services coming in. And I've got a me memory of when I was a young pastor, and I can remember myself in my T-shirt and jeans and just feeling so insecure and unsure and wondering whether I would carry on or whether we would just like send our people off to another church and do something else. And um, I have felt so nurtured and loved and mentored and coached by both of you and especially you, Eleanor. You've been such a wonderful friend and big sister to me and I feel so grateful. I was thinking about you guys and I felt like the verse, um, he'll be a luxuriant, fruitful vine applies to you guys. There's something evergreen about you too. There's something verdant and fruitful and fertile and tenacious about the way that you have a passion for God and a passion for people. And in this room, here is your fruitful vine and 75% of your kids are a fruitful vine in our house. And so if you stick around these guys, life will get, life, life transfers, doesn't it? A vine is, you know, we're, he's the vine and we're the branches and life transfers those and brings out fruit. And I just feel like stick by these guys and your life will be fruitful, abundant, flourishing, thriving. You too will be nurtured, coached, loved into the fullness of God, who God has created you to be. So thank you both and love you. Love lots of people in this room. I won't go on, otherwise we will be here all night. But um, thank you all for having me. I'll pray and then we'll open up the Word of God together. Thank you, Lord God. We love you. We love you, our Father in heaven. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're here tonight with us. And here we are tonight with you. Here we are in your presence. Here we are to breathe you in and come alive. Here we are to open up your word and to know you and be shaped by you and transformed by you. God, we love you. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we open your word tonight. You teach us your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, brace yourself tonight for a bit of an auntie talk. I have <laughs> the, the bossy auntie from across the bridge has come. <laughs> and I've called tonight's message um, Seven Snaps for a Self-Controlled Summer of Sacredness. <laughs> Brought to you by the letter S. <laughs> but I have had this thought 
for a while. I usually um, put together a message about what God is um, talking to me about. And God at the moment is talking to me about self-control. So you're welcome. <laughs> you can um, take it up with the Lord. But um, I've, I've been so um, struck by this, A, the concept of sacredness, the concept of sacredness, that your life is destined to be sacred, that the Bible calls your life sacred, holy, set apart. And the way to live in the fullness of that, the way to make room for all of that, is to live with self-control. So first I'll talk about sacredness, then I'll talk about self-control, and then I've got seven snaps for a self-controlled summit of sacredness to put some practicality around it. So sacredness. You are a dwelling place for God, the Bible says, a meeting place of heaven and earth as a person and as a people. Where is God, you might ask? Where is he? Can we see him? He's in each and every one of you. He's in all of us. The Bible says this. Oh, I'm going to, have I got it? I've got it. Oh, Oh, that's the next one. I like that. We are so lo-fi in our church. I just have the OHP of the back. I'm like, that's it. Okay, so let's go to 1 Corinthians. Awesome. And the Bible says, do you not know, do you know that you, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do you know do you know? Tonight, the Bible, me, I ask, do you know? Do you know that your body is a temple for the Holy, for God by the Holy Spirit? When you think about yourself, who you are, your identity, your purpose, do you know that your flesh and blood, your walking around body is a vessel for God, that he's chosen to put his presence in this world through you? That your body's not just flesh and blood and eyes and nose and ears, but it is the dwelling place, the container, the house, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body your mind, your soul is designed to be sacred. The Bible calls it sacred whether you do or not. That you are holy by definition. That you're holy and sacred. And if we could only live like that. We don't have to strive for it or work for it. We just have to say yes and agree and stay in it. And the scripture says, Paul right into the church at Corinth, that you are not your own, you were bought with a price. And we get to choose whether we believe or own this or not, but if we do, it changes everything. The Bible says that you're not your own, you were bought with a price. You are so precious that Jesus Christ gave his life for you because he loves you and he wanted to bring you into his kingdom. And we get this opportunity to say yes along with Paul and to say, okay then, I'm not my own, I was bought with a price, so I will go with God and I'll glorify God with my body. I won't use my body and my life for my own selfish gain. I'll use it to spend it on God and spend it on others. Sacredness. Sacredness means to be set apart or consecrated or holy. We're designed to be separated, consecrated, holy, a bit different, a bit other than, a bit transcendent. And we have, and so we're a sacred dwelling place of God. You, by definition, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I feel like it's a um, continuing thing. Like we get a little or a lot based on how our lifestyle and our choices and our habits. We can make a little bit of room for the Holy Spirit and He's there and you're a dwelling place for God. We can make a lot of room for the Holy Spirit and He's there and to like a greater extent and more fullness for God. 
And so tonight, I pray that you make a little bit more room in your life through your lifestyle for God. Secondly, self-controlled. Self-control is not my top 10 list or my top 10 list of things to preach about. It is like one of those like uncomfortable, awkward, can we please talk about something a little bit more fun things? But self-control, I think, is how we stay in sacredness. It's our choice. It is our decisions. No one else can do it for you. There is a way to live that aligns with your purpose, and there is a way to live that is in opposition to it. And Paul likens it to an athlete. He likens the Christian life to being like an athlete. He's like, do you not know that in a race, all the runners win, but only one wins the prize? And if you've been through primary school, you know that. And I reckon 90% of us in this room are the ones who didn't, and there might be a few winners of the prize. And he says, but so an athlete disciplines his body. An athlete puts his body under self-control. And just like that, we get the option like Kenny says I don't like box aimlessly I don't box the air I don't run without a goal I don't run aimlessly but I discipline my body I put my body into self-control that I might win the prize and not a prize that dies with me when I die but a prize that lives on forever the fullness of life in Jesus Christ can we discipline our body like an athlete two of my unfavorite words I have to be honest I'm preaching to myself I hate the word discipline and I do not like the word self-control but isn't it amazing that we get this agency and this freedom and this opportunity to live with intention and deliberateness and goal and focus and to work towards something and to like say no to some things and yes to others based on our um, our focus. And it matters that we do this. The Bible talks a fair amount about the fact that life is not a level playing field. Life is not like a neutral zone. Life is a a spiritual battle that yes, there is a loving father and he says you're the dwelling place of God and you're holy and you're set apart. And yes, at the same time, there is an animate, invisible force bent on your destruction called the devil. And the Bible starts the Genesis, the first family, the first brothers. And God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you must rule over it. And I think he says that to all of us tonight out of kindness and out of love and out of wanting the best for us. He's like, sin is crouching at your door. But don't be scared of it and don't let it take over you, but rule over it. Use your mind and your will and your emotions to rule over the sin that crouches at the door. The New Testament, Paul talks about um, the, um, the Satan prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's not a neutral zone. It's not a level playing field. It's not a walk in the park. We there. We are. I, and together, here we are, gathered. It's amazing. Keep gathering. Because who does the lion eat? The little wildebeest who's fallen off the back of the pack and is alone. But we, in our daily life, get to say, yes, there's a Satan, an adversary, an opponent, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But he is not going to devour me. He's not going to take me out. He's not going to steal my life. And I started to think about self-control and sacredness when I watched the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the like biopic of the um, band Queen and Freddie Mercury. And I, to be honest, do not know much about Freddie Mercury or Queen, and I don't know whether the movie was an accurate representation. But it had this scene in it, and it looks like the movie sets it up like this. 
that Freddie Mercury was married to a beautiful wife who he loved and she loved him and her name was Mary and they would like have this beautiful like romance and got married. And then we see Freddie Mercury like um, on a tour bus in the States alone and pulling up at a diner late at night. And there's just this scene that like just struck me like kind of in the core of my being and he sees a man walking into the bathroom and he like has a look and then he turns away and then he has a second look and the rest of the movie portrays Eddie Mercury in these promiscuous homosexual relationships just searching for love and in all this chaos and just carnage and just so broken and loving his wife and calling her every day and, and, she, and in the end she couldn't help him. But I feel like how often do we take the second glance and how could our self-control stop us from taking the second glance? The first one, we'll see things that are tempting, enticing, like take a look and we the first glance is incidental. But the second glass we get to, to have some self-control around. Will you let, will you let the, the um, crouching sin, will you let the devouring lion like divert your eyes from, from, your, from Jesus and from his fullness and from his plan for your life? Or will you put some blinkers on and put some straight paths for your feet? The Bible says that Jesus set his face like flint. Can we fix, set our face like flint to look at Jesus and be unswerving and unwavering? And avoid the second glance, staying true, ruling over our feelings with principles and priorities and values. Something matters more than the fleeting um, um, trick of temptation. Self-control can serve you for the rest of your life. Going with that momentary feeling of maybe I shouldn't or I won't or quickly choosing to do something else. We, we, get a, we get a quickening. You might know it, that, like, that little thing in your gut that's like, oh, I don't think I should do that. Or that like, little whisper of the Holy Spirit, say, go that way instead. Turn that off. Don't buy that. Don't go there. Don't have that conversation. We can be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is given to us, God in us, the temple of the Spirit, and that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, yes, is love and joy and peace. And yes, it is also self-control. That the Holy Spirit will be in us and help us to be self-controlled, disciplined, focused, intentional, deliberate, to live a life that is best for us, ultimately. Like God wants the most best, beautiful, alive, flourishing life for you. He is here for fullness of life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life in all its fullness and abundance. But the devil, he comes to rob and to steal and destroy. So with your self-control, which will you choose? There's a window, even psychologically they say, a window of a few seconds between thinking of doing something and acting on it. Between thinking, I might have that snack, just one more bit of chocolate. What about that? I could buy that. That dress is nice. And then, and then, a window, some say four seconds, some say seven, of thinking of doing something and acting on it. And we get to apprehend that thought. The Bible says, take every thought captive unto Christ. You don't have to act on your feelings. Even in a world that says, if you feel like it, do it. Go on, act on your feelings. Like, you know, just go with it. You'll be fine. No, you won't be fine. Highly likely you'll end up in the horrible mess if you follow your feelings. No, follow your convictions. Follow the Word of God. Follow your values and priorities. Follow Follow what matters most, follow what is eternal. And on to that, seven snaps for a self-controlled summer of sacredness, saying sacredness by using saying sacred by using self-control. Living like that and giving room for the fullness of that to come to fruition. 
So some auntie tips for the summer ahead. Because I feel like summer is when the wheels can come off, eh? I'm saying this now in the beginning of December because summer, like, ah, oh, night services are on for five weeks. I'll get back in February. Ah, oh, we're just hanging out with the friends and the family. Ah, oh, no one will know. I'm kind of out of community. Oh, I'll pick it back up later. But no, what about using the summer as an opportunity to like go deep in God and steadfast in God and to stay, to hold the line? So here's the auntie comments. There will be lots of generalizations because it's 20 minutes and too tricky to cover everything well. Please don't be offended if I say something that is like, tricky for you or lands wrong or doesn't true of you. But most of all, I want to do this to start a conversation with the Holy Spirit. There's only seven things. There are way more things that we'll have to use self-control in in our lives. But this is just to like start the conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. Lead me, guide me, show me. Just He is teacher and helper and guide. And here's the fruit of him is self-control. So let tonight's like um, little snaps just be like this beginning of a conversation for you with the Holy Spirit. Number one, self-control to stay. One of my favorite verses in the Bible that is mysterious and wonderful to me is that Jesus says to his disciples the night before he died, abide, stay, remain, dwell, make your home in me, and I will stay, remain, abide, dwell, make my home in you. Isn't it incredible that we get to make some choices with our lives and have the God of heaven and earth live in us by his presence? Isn't it amazing? And that as, at the same time as we're trying to stay in him, and that's just from the concordance, that's just like, um, like expanded out with all those like meanings of that word. But isn't it amazing that we get to do that and then Jesus is staying, remaining, making his home in us? How do we stay the practical church things that we will never, ever get tired of saying, and they don't change, and they haven't for centuries. Read your Bible, pray, and keep gathering. Read the Bible, pray, and keep gathering. Read the Bible somehow, a little or a lot, on a page, on a phone, together with someone else by yourself. If you can't read, listen to it, but somehow get the Word of God into your body. It's Jesus himself. The Word is Jesus. So when you read the Bible, Jesus is like getting more in you and, and making less room for other stuff. Prayer is simply conversation with God, telling him all the stuff. What shall I do about this? What are you doing here? I'm so sorry for that. Please forgive me. Um, God, could you heal that person? God, I need help with this. God, I love you so much. I adore you. I worship you. Just that conversation with God and then the waiting and the listening. Pray, pray, pray. And gathering, I, he's, it's not golf. Christianity is not a lone single sport. Christianity is a team sport. Stay in the team. <laughs> Use self-control to keep you in the habits and the lifestyle that will keep you abiding, staying, remaining in him and him in you, a temple. Secondly, self-control to stretch. Move your body. Niki niki here tati nana. To the extent that you can. And I have put this one in here because I have been guilty <laughs> of the old, 
I'm under spiritual attack. I'm just so tired. I just can't do anything. I just can't be bothered. I'm just feeling this malaise. I'm just like weak and apathetic. Jesus, deliver me. And he's like, yeah, well, what did you have to eat yesterday? How much sleep did you get? And did you go for a walk on the beach? And I just think like sometimes it's basic. We get to do some basic things, some disciplined self-control things. And if we actually move our body and get some exercise and get the blood pumping, we get to be a temple of the Holy Spirit with the most vitality possible for as long as possible. He wants us to be like this, like, you know, for the long haul, not just like that Christian that you were five years ago, but when, you know, Bruce and Karen, look at these guys, just like robust, fast, strong in the faith for longevity. So move your body. If the body is the temple, the flesh is the vessel of the Holy Spirit. And the longer and the healthier, the better. And, you know, like me, after in a sugar coma and unable to sleep that night, I feel like it's a terrible cycle because if I feel like rubbish, I make bad decisions. I feel sluggish, so I eat bad food or drink too much coffee to make me feel better. And then I feel more sluggish, so I have something more. And then I can't sleep because I've had too much sugar and coffee. And then I wake up the next morning on three hours sleep being like, I'm so tired, I couldn't possibly do any exercise today. And so, but I, and so to solve my own problems, I have given myself a note in my phone called I would rather and it's like no matter how much sleep I had last night no matter how sluggish and apathetic I feel I will get up in the morning I'll spend some time praying I will read my bible I will go for a walk on the beach I will do some pilates and do you know by 7 30 I feel way better than I used to feel when I rolled out of bed at 7 30 feeling sorry for myself so some self-control to stretch secondly and again practically self-control to sleep if you are tired or not getting enough sleep Maybe ask the question why and see if you could use some self-control to make a difference. And I'm not talking about clinical stuff because that's a whole different story and I'm so sorry if you're struggling with that. But if it's just lifestyle things and what about self-control as a remedy for sleep? I love that the Bible talks about sleep. I love that the psalmist says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. If you're not sleeping because you're anxious, can you let the safety and protection and the goodness of the Lord help you sleep and lie down? Psalm 127 verse 2, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Are you not sleeping because you're working too hard, overthinking stuff, overanalyzing? It goes round and round in your head and you've got so much to do, so you do it late into the night and then you wake up early and do it all over again. I feel like the Bible puts work in proper boundaries. Work is a gift from God and it is a Christian endeavor and it is good. But even God himself put work in proper boundaries. He worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested and he didn't stop resting. So can we also put work in proper boundaries eight or nine hours a day and then I don't wake up early with anxious toil and I don't work late with anxious toil, but I trust that God is the God of provision and abundance and he's working when I'm not working and when I'm resting, I am trusting that he is at work on my behalf. Can we sleep? And then practical things. Looking at some lifestyle stuff, why aren't you sleeping? Are you going to bed too late? Are you screen addicted? Are you gaming? Are you stressed? Are you working? Are you overthinking? Just pause and only you will know this. Only you can be honest with yourself, but be honest with yourself. Why aren't you sleeping? Can you deal with the gaming addiction? Can you put some self-control about when you put your phone away? And sometimes, you know, like if the phone's kind of there, you're like, I'm, I can't sleep anyway, I'll just look at my phone. 
but like be like, no, I don't look after my, I look at my phone after 10 p.m. or something like that, but just some self-control so you are getting sleep. If you're stressed or overworking, talk to someone about it, talk to God about it, put it in proper boundaries. If you're overthinking, just be like, God, could you please take my worried, anxious thoughts, cast all my cares upon you, because you're gentle and humble at heart, and your burden is light and easy. Could I have the light and ease instead of the stress that I've experienced? Thirdly, self-control. Oh, are we up to four? All right, cool, we're rolling. Self-control to be sober. <laughs> and this is the, these are the scriptures that I got saved with. My mum, who was done that? I was a student at uni in Auckland, and I would wake up hungover on a Sunday morning, and my mum would ring and be like, how about going to church? There's a great church down the road. And I love to be the compliant older child and not to cause too much disappointment. But so instead of going to church, I would open up my Bible, and over the course of three Sundays, these verses just cropped up. I was like, oh my gosh, God is real, the Bible tells the truth, and I think I'm about to change my life in accordance. But how is this? How does the Bible know these things? I just love it. Insert your drink or drug of choice. Wine is a mocker, a strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, verses 29 to 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Someone who is drunk and tripped over the stairs. Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long after wine, those who go to try and mix wine. Don't look at wine when it sparkles in the glass, when it's all tempting and just says, like, come, it won't be bad, just keep going, just have another glass. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Isn't that the truth? If we're not sober, if we're stoned or drunk, the, like this is what happens. It goes on to say that you're like one who like made the bed upon the mast of a ship, and you're like, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. But the Bible tells us to be sober, and like it says it over and over again for spiritual and practical reasons. When it comes, and we've got a couple of choices, either no alcohol at all, and that is probably best for a lot of us, or just a little bit of alcohol, like maybe like one or two. So if I'm having a glass of wine, I think I do not want to get drunk because I want to be in a position where I could pray for someone if they need it, where I can offer sound judgment to one of my kids if they come home and need a talk, or somebody from church. And if there's an emergency, I could drive and help. I don't want to be drunk and be like, I can't do anything about the person who's in trouble. Like we actually get to, to be sober and ready and alert and awake and full of the, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we take the Holy Spirit and help people out. We're like in a position to be awake and alert and right there. And within, we're not a slave. The Bible also talks about you are a slave over stuff or it is a slave over you. Are you a slave to drink or drugs? Or are you its master? And only again you will know that. But if drink or drugs rules you, then, then pause and you just say, Holy Spirit, help me to overcome this. Talk to your pastors or your leaders or your connect group, but somehow um, get out of the slavery to drink and drugs. And it's anything that to excess. Like I think that drinking and drugs is sometimes just like the you know one thing, but sometimes it's shopping or eating. But just some, we just like want a bit more. We want a bit more. We want a bit more. And then I think also see what is underneath it. Why are you addicted to drinking or drugs or eating or shopping? Why is it comfort? 
What is the wound that you're trying to comfort? Is it escapism? What are you trying to escape? Is it numbing? What is painful that you're trying to numb? Those are the important questions to have. I had a counselor last year and he said, problems are not problems. Problems are solutions. You just have to work out what is the solution for. So the drinking and the drugs are not necessarily the problem. They're a solution to the deeper pain. So address the problem under the problem. Address the problem that the drinking is a solution for and you will find freedom and ask the Holy Spirit to help you heal. Next, sex is for your spouse. And this two minutes is going to be as awkward for me as it is for you. But <laughs> so that like, that, that, that square, that, you know, that get me out of here feeling, we've all got that. But I was compelled to talk about it because a girl from our church said, do, you, do we talk about sex at church? Like she was kind of a new Christian. And I thought, flip, we'd better talk about sex at church because everybody else is. I was watching a movie with the kids at home, Champions, the cutest little movie about some kids with intellectual disabilities and a basketball coach. So much innuendo so much stuff about sexuality like the guy saying I had my first three where it was awesome I'm like what the heck like this is a kids movie so I think we get to like talk about sex as a church sex is for your spouse these are my opinions only you can take it up with the auntie across the bridge <laughs> but but I wanted I wanted to say it because isn't sexuality like intimate and personal and deep and isn't it the source of so much pain and so much goodness and we get to talk about it as a church because like it matters and it's a big part of our life the bible talks about it heaps it's all through the bible old testament gospels epistles he talks about fornication sexual immorality like one of the things that will fall into one of the things that we can have self-control over to live a different way and of course, I can't finish talking about it here. I can only begin the conversation. And of course, it's very individual to people, and I can't generalize, but these are my thoughts about sex, that it is for marriage, that we've been tricked and lied to, that it's about your needs and self-gratification. When it comes to sex in a marriage, I think be generous, be exclusive, and be sacrificial. The Bible says that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, like perfectly loving, committed, surrendered, and generous. And so it matters that we keep it within those bounds. Things that are not. Three or more sims, masturbation, pornography, one night stands, Tinder dates, friends with benefit, in my opinion. And this can't be exhaustive or formulaic, but there is a Holy Spirit who will help and teach and guide and convict. Again, get to know the feeling. Like he is teacher and helper and guide, and he'll quicken your thoughts, or he'll quicken that gut feeling, and you'll just think, I, I think I'm going to change my ways. I think I'm going to go differently here, and we get to. Self-control protects the temple. And just a practical thing, I just remember Tom doing this course called Valiant Man about male sexuality, and he just had this thing about like lust and stuff, and the, the um, like the little phrase was bounce your eyes. Like again, like it's one thing to see something attractive or different, like you want to go there, but it's another thing to like linger. But it says like bounce your eyes, and I found my like just bounce your eyes. I you know have a thought or look. I'm like no, I'm gonna again set my face like flint, put blinkers on, my feet going in the right direction, protect your marriage, save your marriage. It is worth it. Second to last, self control to share. And we were reading through the Proverbs with the kids the other day, and, um, and this cropped out. I was like, what a proverb for our times. 
Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In a world where we've kind of like noticed introversion and then almost idolized it, and when the tendency is to stay at home or in the comfort of your own company or just to like somehow just isolate or back into the shadows or like stay home rather than going out, I think the Bible gives us this wisdom and says there is self-control in sharing your life with others, self-control in turning up, self-control in being in community, self-control in knowing and being known as vulnerable and as uncomfortable sometimes as it is, it is worth Worth being in community. Hebrews 10 verse 24 to 25 is a common um, verse, but, but it's important. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day growing near, if your spirituality has got a bit dull or boring or just not feeling the feels anymore, like talk to somebody who's in distress or stress or darkness and is craving an encounter with the Holy Spirit and see if your spirituality just doesn't burst into life and See if you're not drawing on the Holy Spirit and Jesus like you've never drawn on him before. I think community keeps us self-others-oriented and keeps us giving and being in generosity. It's not meant to be a lake or a pond or stagnant. It's meant to be a river of living water flowing out from your belly. So community will keep your spirituality vibrant and alive and necessary and essential. And so share your life with others out of self-control because it matters. God's plan was for all the little temples to join up and become a bigger dwelling place, like living stones built together into a dwelling place for God, 2 Peter says. We also encouraged, either we're giving encouragement to somebody who really needs it or we're being encouraged. You probably leave church on a Sunday night being like, what a group of awesome people. Isn't Eleanor beautifully passionate? Isn't Janita amazingly steadfast and gorgeous and inspiring? There are so many people in this room whom I am inspired by. I hope you are too. Let self-control help you to commit to staying connected. And finally, self-control about what you see, what you say, and what you hear. If the spirit is inside this temple called the body, then the gateways to that spirit are what our eyes and our ears and our mouths. What are you watching? What are you listening to? And what are you saying? And how is it affecting your spirit? Because your spirit is active and alive and it's impressionable and it's impacted by what comes in and what goes out. Jesus says this, that your eye is the lamp of your body. It like, you know, through here is what, come, you know, it shines out what is in there. But also through here, what you see goes in. And he says, if the light in you is darkness, then how great the darkness. If what you're watching and what your input is, is darkness, then your whole body is going to be full of darkness. So what are you letting in? What are you letting in online? What are you listening to? What movies are you watching? Are you watching horror? Because I feel like um, sometimes we just desensitize our spirit. Our spirit is meant to be so alive and quickened and tender and, and just... Um, yeah, like sharp, but sometimes we deaden and dull our spirit by shocking it with horror and, you know, then it takes more and more horror to get the same feeling. But like, let your spirit stay sensitive and soft and tender by protecting it with what you watch. What conversations are you having? Is there spiritual stuff going on? Tamara and I were in regular having coffee at 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning, and then this um, girl walks past and says to her friend over there, oh, I'm just going to read some tarot cards. You want to come? I'm like, what the? <laughs> like, but honestly, like, obviously, 
you know, the spiritual stuff, witchcraft and occult is kind of like sneaking in as like mainstream culture, but beware, it's like spiritual stuff. And you can go and see Ellie, <laughs> but we need to protect our spirit. What are you doing? Let the Holy Spirit guide you for self-control and for sacredness. And what is it doing to your soul or your spirit? What effect is it having? Does what you're watching, what you're listening to, and the conversations that you are having make you feel numb? Or does it give you a hardness of spirit? Or does it give you a seared conscience where you just can't feel that leading of the Holy Spirit anymore? Or does it make you feel jealous or envious or covetous or greedy? Does it make you feel lustful? Does it make you feel anxious and worried? Is it demonic? Let the Holy Spirit and self-control help you to keep your spirit pure, sacred, set apart and consecrated. And so just to finish, I would just love to um, give you a moment to respond to God right where you are. And then after this, the altar will be open. I'd love to pray for you. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And if you feel like you and the Holy Spirit would you know, love to get some self-control going on, then I encourage you to come and be prayed for. Again, it's a team effort. We get to do it together. It's not an alone thing. And so I'm going to pray. The band is going to play. And then the altar will be open. But right where you are, let's respond to God. God, I thank you for all the temples of the Holy Spirit in this room tonight, God. I thank you that it's so mysterious and beautiful that even while we're sitting here, God, your spirit is alive and breathing within us. And Father, I pray that you would give each and every one of us, God, the gift of your spirit for self-control. Father, I pray that you'd reveal your identity of who we are and who you purposed and made us to be, to be temples of the Holy Spirit, to be a dwelling place for God. Father, I pray that every person knows this. Do you not know that your body is a temple? Yes, I know my body is a temple. Father, I pray against any condemnation or shame or guilt the devil would love to steal and rob and destroy by making us feel less than and condemned. But Father, I pray that your perfect freedom and forgiveness is, comes for us all tonight. That we know we wash clean every moment by the blood of Jesus. That He's the one that makes us sacred and sanctified. He's the one who makes us consecrated and set, set apart. God, I pray that we could partner with you and work with you to live lives that honour you. God, I pray for every person in this room that they lay a whole God of who they're called and purposed to be in you, to take your spirit to a hungry, thirsty, dying, broken, heart-ached world. Father, I pray that we could take it seriously, that it would matter the way we live our Christian lives, that it would matter the way we live with self-control so we carry you with us. And God, I pray for every person in this room and the people they meet this week. I pray that there'll be rivers of living water to thirsty souls. I pray they'll be able to speak peace where there's chaos. I pray they'll be able to bring healing and brokenness, life to death, hope to hopelessness. We love you, Jesus. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. So let us glorify God with our bodies. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
band's going to lead us in a song.